Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen. With me today is our own pianist in residence, Sam Page. This is your Daily Dose of Happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. Indeed we are, and uh, we're happy that uh, Sam now is here officially in his capacity as co-host. He's excited, he's shaking his fist, he's jumping up and down. So, uh, Sam, I'm going to assume from that behavior, you're feeling pretty good, guy. Yeah, oh, definitely. I have a cold, and that's the movie down, but this is helping, I think. And I was just I always kind of dance to the intro music. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I have to say, for somebody who has a cold, you're doing very well. So congratulations on keeping your energy up. Oh, That's a good thing. Thank you. Do my yeah. best. <laughs> you do, your best is very good. You, you do a very oh. good job. And, of course, we have a special guest today. Heather Salisbury is uh, the owner or co-owner of a really unusual company that we're going to learn more about, PNW Bushcraft. Because what they do is they focus on making it handcrafted outdoor gear, you know, for like when you go camping and all that kind of stuff, they it's handcrafted. We don't get that anymore. <laughs> that, that's just, I mean, that's just, didn't they pass a law 25 years ago or something? No, seriously. <laughs> no, this is unusual. And this is cool stuff. So Heather, first of all, welcome to the program. Thank you for being here. And second of all, how did this come about? Well, thank you for having me on. It came about because uh, my husband and I are very crafty, creative people, and um, he was looking for gear that would hold up to the Pacific Northwest weather. So um, wow. he just started making his own gear that he thought would work well, did his research, got an old sewing machine off of Craigslist and rewired it. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that's how it all started. It was just a, a need he needed filled, and people started saying, can I get some? And um, we started making more gear. So, yeah, it's really just evolved by itself from a necessity. So it started with a sewing machine, a used one at that. <laughs> it did. That wow. one's retired now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess so you, got much it, better. you got the use out of it, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah. So it, it served its purpose. So that's a cool thing. And, and so I take it, I'm going to like make a massive assumption and assume you guys are outdoor people. Is, is that like too big of an assumption? Oh, make? no, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> Lifelong outdoor people. <laughs> and in fact, we were chatting before the program. You were very grateful to have, um, you, you, you use the uh, Starlink technology that Elon Musk's team has put together over the last few years with its 40,000 odd satellites around the world circling the globe because you're in such a rural area. And that's yeah. been a, a game changer for you, which is pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're an online company, so it would take a lot of time to do anything online that needed changes. So we were making it work, so that's really awesome. But since we've gotten it, my life has gone so much faster. I mean, things just get done. My time is used so much better. So, yeah, we were really fortunate to get it in our area and be able to be online. And I can chat with you because of that. Yeah, and we <laughs> love that. That's fabulous. <laughs> Also, this is the first time, to the best of my knowledge, that I've chatted with somebody who's using Starlink. So that's kind of a nice breakthrough for me, too. It's like my first time. This is good. Yeah, cool. Like that. Yeah. So well, congratulations to Elon Musk and his team. What was that, Sam? So honestly, I think this is the first, or that conversation before this was the first I'd heard of Starlink, actually. Oh, really? No, Starlink is yeah. cool. Star, Starlink, is, uh, Elon basically decided he wanted to open up uh, the Internet access to people who couldn't normally get it. Either they live in rural areas or people who live in very poor countries where they can't afford to put in the infrastructure. And so, I mean, that's what a lot of his um, 
SpaceX launches have been about putting these satellites, these, these little um, Starlink satellites into orbit. And I believe the goal was originally something like 100,000 of these. And and he would put them up in bunches. I think there are like bunches of 40 or 50 in each each or 200 or something like that. And and the the, the launch, the payload goes out there and then they just kind of like start floating throughout the atmosphere. So he's basically creating this this uh, thing that, that circumnavigates the globe with all these different little satellites that are basically little GPS internet connections. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. cool. Except it's for astronomers. Lot. Astronomers don't like it much. They, they claim that it ruins their ability to see the stars. I'm, I'm not quite convinced of that because these satellites aren't that big. But hey, you know, I won't argue <laughs> with them. Whatever. I just think the technology is cool. What can I say? Yeah. But, sure. but what's also cool is, is somebody starting a business using a used sewing machine off of Craigslist and turning it into an outdoor gear thing. So, so tell us more about that story. That's a very cool story. Well, um, it, it, it's a lot of fun. So being outdoor enthusiasts, we're always outdoors and we're like, you know, it'd be really cool if we had this item or that item. And uh, once we were able to have the equipment and the resources to create stuff, the product line grew. We have super amazing customers who would reach out and be like, can you make this? And so that's where some of our ideas came from. So it's just been um, a family that affair that's slowly grown. Now my mom and my sister-in-law both work for us. Uh, we have a shop on the property and um, we just love making, we love making gear that helps people make memories. And we are very proud of what comes out of our shop because we pay a lot of attention to how things are made and the details. And we just want to bring back that like warm, cozy feeling of when you were a kid and you were camping with your grandparents and you smell the wax canvas and the warm fire. It's a whole experience. We're helping create an amazing experience. That's a good word, isn't it? Creating an experience. Yeah. Because it's not, it's not, it's not camping. It's, it's creating an experience. It's not getting out into the wild. It's creating an experience because the experience is what it's all about. Yeah, I mean, if you focus on just, if you focus <laughs> on just being out there, you're going to be freezing cold or you're going to be sweating hot or whatever. And that's not quite so much fun. But if you're experiencing, that's a different deal. Yeah. Yeah. I'm all about the experience because whether something goes good or bad, we always have a great time. So yeah. And I just hope by making this really awesome gear, we're helping people create their own memories. So. Well, you're probably getting feedback from the customers you have so far, right? Oh, yeah. We have amazing customers, and we have a really high return rate. So they love what we do, and they keep coming back for more. So we keep coming oh, up with good. new things. So it's very flattering. <laughs> so, so so, what's, like, your main line? What, what What's your main product line? Um, our main product line is foraging bags that you can snap on and off of your belt, and they're used for foraging if you're doing um, mushrooms, tinder, berries, rocks on the beach. Um, we sell a lot of uh, bucket bags with pockets and they're for organizing. A lot of people use them for their cook sets and their backpacks. Those are very popular. Um, recently, we just put out a EDC travel tray. So it's a small thing that turns into a tray or otherwise you can put your everyday carries in it. So, you know, we have probably 150 different items on our website that we make, but those are our, our top sellers currently. Very cool. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's really nice. And and also, because you do this out of the love that you guys have for the outdoors, I'm imagining that these products, to a large extent, are developed because you found you needed them? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we saw a need for ourselves or somebody else would point out something that needed. They were looking for a solution. So mm. it's really cool to be able to have somebody contact me via email with an idea and to be able to design it and create it 
and make it for them. It's very, it's, it's really satisfying. I mean, we do have our regular line, but I have fun with custom work. That's where I let my creativity thrive. So I, I just love making ideas come to life. It's fun. That's great. That's fabulous. Now, because you're outdoors people, that probably means you've done a lot of outdoor travel. Tell us about some of the yeah. more exotic places you've been to. Like, the, oh, if you I might pick the, like, the really, 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 really <laughs> cool ones. I haven't been anywhere exotic. I, I'm your, what do I say? I'm an outdoor enthusiast. So um, the most exciting thing I'll do is hike in for a couple hours and camp out at the mountain behind our house at a pond that is just a very strenuous hike, but very worth it and lots of fun. But yeah, I haven't really traveled anywhere out of the country except for my honeymoon. And we went to the Bahamas and that was luxury camping. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I just, um, I think of uh, outdoor and nature as a great place to just go chill and relax. And I'm working really hard to take the stigma that it has to be something that you know a lot about or you have to have a lot of gear for because I want to encourage people to get outdoors. So yeah, I, I'm not a hardcore backpacker, hiker, any of those things. I'm a let's go out in the woods and build a fire and hang out and have a good time kind of gal. I got you. Except when you go to the Bahamas, in which it's, you know, bring the cabana more tomatoes than that, you know. Yeah, I was, I was really okay with that on my honeymoon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm sure. <laughs> I seem to be. I also, if I may opine, find the fact that there's a mountain right behind your house is awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're at the base of a mountain. It's really cool. <laughs> oh, I love that. Mountains and lakes, those are my favorite things. Louise, my wife, um, when she was in her twenties, she became a ski bum at Mount Snow in Vermont. And so she got to you know, develop that lifestyle quite a bit. And, and so she, I think she leans more in that direction. Although she's the one who wants us to go to the beach every year. So that's also that, but you don't have to either way. I mean, I was more, I, for me, my earliest experiences were on a lake that my parents retired on in Virginia gorgeous lake absolutely gorgeous so so that's always my first choice but yeah i like the mountains i like the beach i like i like just about anything it's a nice place to get away to yeah so yeah yeah so um it, i mean I, I, maybe i'm kind of making an assumption here but it sounds to me like and you tell me if i'm wrong it sounds like the products are for like the real hardcore outdoor enthusiasts but am i wrong is this are some of your products stuff that like everyday persons going out to for you know like a walk in the park might have a use yeah. for? Oh, yeah. Um, our products span the line of people that need them for very specific things. And they're also for everyday things like our cedar bucket bags are used by knitters and artists and foragers. And they're just great rugged bags that you could carry around with you. So I don't think our clientele isn't aimed at hardcore outdoor people. It's aimed at people that really appreciate a handcrafted piece of gear. Oh, okay. Which and is gear that. And gear that's just basically useful. Like yeah. it, it's it's not like well we're gonna we're gonna build an entire tent out of seals or something like no it's it's not like that it's <laughs> it's like you know this is this is like typical stuff you're gonna need on a day to day basis when you're just doing stuff outdoors. Yeah, yeah, we're all about having great gear to organize. That's what a lot of our gear is about organizing your stuff. So just practical organizing. Practical, yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. And how long have you been doing it now? Seven years. Seven years. Yeah. yeah. What was the first year like? Um, the first year was lots of work. And honestly, we have uh, been sort of serial entrepreneurs and this was a hobby. So I didn't take it seriously. I just was playing at creating these things and uh, listing them for my husband. And so it was 
I really just kept going, no, this isn't going to take off. And then we just kept getting busier and busier. And I was like, boy, I probably should take this seriously and and start having (laughs) a plan for what we're going to do. So um, the first year was fun because I didn't take it seriously. The second year was a little more intense because there was a deliberate goal to grow the company and decided on a product line and kind of decide how we were going to represent ourselves online. You were serial entrepreneurs. I mean, what does that mean? What kind of stuff were you into? (laughs) Um, Hopefully well, not I like just, serial killers. I mean, that's the same thing. No, 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 no. Thing. <laughs> um, I just, I just always thought I would have my own business. So I tried things like grocery delivery before it was cool. My husband and his best friend and I had electrical contracting business. I'm a mixed media artist. I do digital work. Oh. So I'm, I'm, I was always trying to find something where I didn't have to go to a nine to five job. So yeah, this one, this one works. So now I work from 6 a.m. to midnight, but you know, now it's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, isn't that the old entrepreneurial story, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to get away from the nine to five so I can work twenty five hours a day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, by the same token, like that. what was that, Sam? Uh, I was like, as long as you're living or doing something that you love, I think that kind of makes up for it. At least. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I have fun all the time, so uh, yeah, I, I doesn't yeah. ever feel like work. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah. It's important, especially with that many hours. No doubt about that. It, it, it's one of those interesting balances because when you become an entrepreneur, no matter what kind of entrepreneurial activity you engage in, you on the one hand are making a really major hourly commitment. By hourly, I mean like hours and hours of commitment. There's just a lot of work that gets involved in no matter what it is that you do. It doesn't matter what kind of business you're creating. And it, it's, it's not because necessarily businesses need that much attention. It's because we simply give it that much attention. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's a, it's a passion. That's, that's what gets somebody going, starting one of these things in the first place. Hard and, work. And I like hard work. <laughs> yeah. You just enjoy it. And, and, and it's not, well, it is, is it really hard work though? If you're liking what you're doing? Well, yeah, I think there's, at least for me, there's a great deal of a learning curve for me because I don't have the education behind it. So it's all taught and I'm always learning something new. So sometimes I find that a challenge. Um, mm-hmm. It's not always hard work when I'm up making fun stuff and talking to people. I'm having a great time. But yeah, there's hard work there. There's some, certainly. There's, there's always going to be yeah. some. Yeah. yeah. I, I think really, it, I guess it depends on how you define the word hard. <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, it really yeah. does. Because uh, uh, is it hard because it's difficult? Is it hard because you don't want to do it? Is it hard because you're putting in long hours? It's, those are different things. Yeah. Yeah. Do yeah, I have to so, pick one? <laughs> no. Well, well, apparently you did, actually. That'd be perfectly straight. I mean, you did. You, you picked it over and the same year after year after year. You keep picking it, right? So it's not like this yeah. is new. <laughs> no, no, it's not. <laughs> but I guess my point is we, those of us who succeed in some sort of entrepreneurial activity do so, I think, primarily because, like Sam said, you love it. Yeah. There's something about it that, you, that really just fires you. Mm-hmm. It's not like you have to, it's not like you have to light the fire and keep it burning. It's just there. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Cause otherwise yeah. you wouldn't, otherwise you wouldn't survive. You wouldn't last with it. No. And, and I think staying power is really important when you're an entrepreneur or you're a small business, because you have to get up every day and make that choice to do those things. There's nobody asking me to do anything. And there's nobody telling me I have to get it done. That's something I have to tell myself every day. And, and I think as a small business owner, that's one of the biggest challenges is because you're only accountable to yourself. You know what's interesting? I love that statement because you are right. You, you're only accountable to yourself. But what's interesting to me about that statement is it really applies to everyone regardless of what they do in life. Yeah, that's true. You're always accountable to yourself. 
I think the difference with an entrepreneur is they recognize it. <laughs> They're willing to say, yeah, okay, yeah, I volunteer. <laughs> but really, we all are. We're always accountable to ourselves. We don't necessarily, all of us, know consciously to accept that responsibility. Yeah. And some of us kind of shirk it for, for many years even. But ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, it comes back. You can't get away from it. No matter no. what you do in life, you can't get away from it. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, oh. well, Sam, Sam is a pianist. Sam, can you imagine if you had decided to be a halfway pianist? Hmm. I'm not even sure what that entails, but <laughs> I can't quite picture it. <laughs> but my point is you had to you had to actually just commit to, you know, doing the work. And I know what it's like. I mean, not quite to the level you do, but I know what it's like. You have to commit to spending the time doing the practicing, you know, getting your fingers in gear, getting your, your mind in gear, you know, learning how the recording works, learning how music theory works, studying different kinds of musical uh, forms. I mean, you, you have to commit to it totally. If you don't, you're going to learn it halfway. And that's not really learning it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's really what, what the hard work part is all about. The hard work is, are you willing to go all the way and do the whole thing? Or are you just kind of, are you just kind of a dilettante? Like, Oh, I'll just kind of mess around. <laughs> kind of like what I do. Cause I, I, Heather, I, I actually, I, I haven't played uh, any kind of keyboard since I was 13. I took lessons for a few years. I stopped, I got into guitar, I stopped that and then stopped music entirely. And then just, this past January, I got a keyboard again for the first time in 50 years, and I'm trying to pick it up again. So I qualify as a dilettante. <laughs> but you picked it up again. That's great. But I picked it up again. Yeah. Yeah. But it, yeah. But, but even then, I mean, I, I'm certainly not doing it to try to earn a living or something like that. Yeah. But I can't bring myself to only do it occasionally. I have to do it. I mean, th- this week has been really unusual. There have been two days this week where I couldn't sit down to it at all, and I felt like I was in drug withdrawal. Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, it's good you found some passion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I for me, the other thing that is like that is doing the show. And mm-hmm. I, I there have been times where, like, I think the last time where I took a whole bunch of time off was this past January. And that was only because I was doing a, uh, a special workshop series, um, a, uh, one of these um, summit-type series. And then before that, it was two years before that when I took a week's vacation. I mean, and and... That's about the only way I could get away from it. If I tried to do it, you know, just kind of occasionally here or there, I, I wouldn't be able to keep doing it. I, I actually did this as like a, a, a weekly thing for the first three or four years. I've been doing it for almost 10 years now. The first three or four years was just a weekly thing. And it wasn't enough. I had to go to daily five days a week just to get enough of a dose of it. You know, so I, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is, I, I, I only know how to do it either all the way in or not at all. And, and, and just kind of, even when I, with a, with a keyboard that I pick up in January, I still have to make sure I'm playing it every single day. I, I, I don't know how you do it halfway. I don't know how don't, anyone I, does it halfway. You're, yeah. You're talking to a person who's all in. So right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how people do stuff halfway. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I, 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 I'm not even sure why I'm bringing it up other than <laughs> to say, well, no, there, there's a serious side to it. I, other than to say that. I think there are people who want to just try things out, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with just trying things out. But whether it's an entrepreneurial activity or any other kind of activity, I think what what I'm getting at is that there are people who try things out and then they just kind of leave it hanging. They don't really make a decision. Which way do I want to go on this? Oh, that's not me. I'm great at making decisions. I either love it or hate it. (laughs) 
I'll try almost everything once. And then I'm like, well, that wasn't for me, but now I know because I tried it. That's, that's how I like to look at experiences. <laughs> I think that's true of all successful or even some non-successful entrepreneurs. <laughs> I think it's, I think that's just part of it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause you have to be a doer. You have to be uh, somebody who can commit to something, mm-hmm. willing to stick it out through thick and thin. And there's mm-hmm. lots of thin. Mm-hmm. Thin happens all the time. <laughs> I, I had a, a show a few weeks back. Uh, Sam knows that one of my co-hosts is a gentleman named Dan Mangena, who's a multimillionaire. He coaches other people to become millionaires. He lives on the coast of Mexico. He's just like you know, lives this idyllic lifestyle. I had him on with another gentleman from up above uh, north of the border who's also a multimillionaire. He had, had uh, I think it was a Domino's franchise and had turned that into a huge venture. And both of them were on the show. And, and I was asking them to like kind of compare notes. Like, what did you go through to get to where you want, where, where you wanted to be? And uh, the other guy, his name was Robert. Robert told about all these things that he went through. They had this franchise. He poured all this money into it. that started to fail entirely. They were in panic mode, you know, figured out how to make it work. They just worked, you know, tremendous number of hours to turn it around and so on and so forth. He described all these trials and tribulations that he went through, and then it finally worked, and he succeeded. And and when I came to Dan, I said, uh, is your experience different, or is it about the same? And he says, well, for me, it was pain. And then it was more pain. And then it was more pain after that. <laughs> oh, that sounds very unpleasant. Just <laughs> go through a lot of pain. And then he succeeded, which is way, his way of saying, and this is a, a story I hear a lot. It's his way of saying that he went through one venture that failed and a second venture that failed and a third venture that finally succeeded. And going through all that, all those steps is painful because you, you think you're doing something and it's not working. You try something else and it's not working. And then finally, after like 25 different trials, something works. And you're like, oh my God, it worked. <laughs> I totally feel that. I totally feel that. Right? <laughs> you just got to get that, on the right path that works for you. <laughs> yes. Yes. So now that leads to a great question. What worked for you? How did you, how do you find your path? What, how do you know that you're there? Um, I think a lot of it was looking forward to um, doing what I was doing every day. I mean, I've always been a hard worker, so I've always wanted to contribute and support my family. But when it came to small business, I really had a great example for my kids to follow your passion. And so being able to be creative, not in the ways I expected, but being able to creative and learn and grow and stick with something that's that's moving forward was really great for me. I mean, it's satisfying. It's just satisfying to have products that people love. It's satisfying to talk to people. It's satisfying to accomplish goals that I set for myself in the company. So just, I just keep things going because I, I really just love what I do. That's good. That's really good. I like the way you described that too, because what, what you're talking about there is that persistence. I mean, that's not the way you labeled it, no. but that's what that is, <laughs> that, but, but that's what that is. That's persistence. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of persistence. And and I think when I meet lots of other small business owners, that's what people don't see in the background is all the work that we, we just put in every day. It's just stuff that needs to be done. And um, yeah. I applaud every small business owner because let me tell you, I know what's going on behind the scenes, at least for my own company. And, and I know sure. from the outside, everything looks easy, but it's not. And I'm not complaining. I'm just saying it's not as idyllic as it looks when you have a small business. There's lots of lots of work behind it. So. So if somebody were thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, would you recommend that they do it? Absolutely. You always have to try, right? So life is all about trying new experiences. And I don't know, I've always had the theory that I never want to go to bed regretting anything. 
I don't ever want to look back and say, I should have done that, or I missed that opportunity, or why was I scared and didn't do that? So I, I really just, anything that excites me or I think might be fun, I'm going to go for so that I feel good about myself when I go to bed at night. I know that I'm the best me all the time. So everyone should try to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> okay. You used a great phrase there. That's something that scares you. I mean, I, I kind of equate that to what Dan was talking about when he talked about all that pain that he encountered as he was trying to get his stuff going. Yeah. So how do you deal with that? How do you deal with that, that pain or, or that fear, actually? Because really, it's the fear of pain more than anything else. Um, I just try to remember that anything that's ever scared me that I've gone for has made me happy in the end. So um, mm. I talk myself through it. I mean, I, things that challenge me are, well, actually, I've gotten a lot better at it. But public speaking used to scare me because mm-hmm. when I was really young, my uh, grandmother was the vice president of the Storytelling League. So wow. she put me in front of a crowd of 300 people and I oh. started telling my story and then I almost passed out. So that was my first oh. like big public speaking experience. But um, yeah, I just was recently at an event and 60 people turned around to listen to me speak and I did amazing and I didn't pass out and it felt really good. So, <laughs> so you know, practice. So I don't know if things my son pointed out to me once, he said, don't say that you're nervous, say you're excited. So that's what I chant in my head now. So instead of being nervous, I say, I'm excited about something. And that kind of little switch in my head has helped really, really worked out. Yeah, being on podcasts used to make me nervous, but I was excited. <laughs> so, you know, change your frame of mind, change your, change your outlook. So, you know, I'm thinking back now to when I first started this podcast and I'm asking myself, why wasn't I nervous? Because I really wasn't nervous. And then, and I think I know why it was. There were two factors. First, when I was in college, I did college radio. So I had some experience already doing something similar. And then the other was, I knew I didn't have any listeners yet. So it didn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) It does. It takes a lot of pressure off. No doubt about that. Yeah. It's huge. So yeah, I, I, I think it's something to be said from that perspective. If now, if I had, I wasn't trying to make it a career. I mean, it's only recently, only in the last few months, I've been thinking, geez, I should turn this into a career. I like this so much. But um, no, I, I wasn't thinking about it as a career. Literally, I was starting it because I was in a really bad place and I was looking to get some free coaching. So I figured I started a podcast, get some really good experts on. They could coach me just by you know having the conversation. I love it. <laughs> it worked beautifully. Yeah. Let me tell you, it, it was the most successful program I've ever created in my life just because it, I helped myself. It was wonderful. <laughs> but But also in the process... You kind of grew up with the, with, with, with the podcast and the audience. I mean, the the biggest shock to me was the day when I found out we had listeners. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not kidding. (laughs) It was a shock. I mean, I'm sure there was a piece of me that was hoping, well, I hope somebody's listening at some point, but, um, it wasn't until I think like the second year that I even had a good way of measuring whether people were, were downloading the, the podcast or anything like mm-hmm. that. And I, I remember my seeing my first numbers. Now I had a, an older system and I changed it in, ugh, what was it? 2016, but I had an older system that I used for the first three or four years um, and five years, I guess, and, no, four years. And that system, it gave me poor data. That's the best way I can explain it. So oh, I didn't, no. so I didn't have a good way of knowing, you know, do I really have listeners? How many do I have? And then 2016 was when I went to the new system that I use now. And I saw my first month's numbers, <laughs> my first number, my first month's number said I had nine downloads and I was pretty sure five of them were mine. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so it, it was a both. It was exciting to find out I had listeners because I didn't know who they were, and it was uh-huh. also a little disappointing because like there's only four of them, really. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that changes over time, but still, yeah. that, that's where I came from on that. So I didn't really have a, I didn't have a fear place like that. And I've yeah. never really been afraid. I know a lot of people have the fear of public speaking. I never really had that. I've been nervous mm-hmm. giving a talk. Yeah. I remember the first yeah. time I gave um, a talk to a fairly large audience, but the talk went really well. And, and yeah, I was nervous, but pff, didn't matter. People liked it. People <laughs> applauded. So I said, okay, it can't be all that bad. Sure. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> so I've never really experienced it the way I guess other people have. But when, well, well, you you actually fainted though. You you actually collapsed. I I didn't pass all the way out, but it was head between the knees, trying to wow. not pass out. Yeah, it was it was traumatic, and uh, I didn't get back up on stage for a really long time. But you know, yeah. those experiences shape you, and they've been a challenge for me. But both of my kids are amazing public speakers, and really? since elementary school, yeah, our oldest is an actor and was in all the plays, and you know, nice. did speeches and. It, didn't even phase him at all, but um, he didn't have the same experience as I did. No, I don't know. <laughs> they're just good, friendly, friendly kids, and they're not kids; they're adults now. But they're always my kids. So, <laughs> and, and Sam, you don't give talks; you you give presentations musically, which has very much the same kind of feel. It's just a different kind of expression. So, I mean, what have you gone through? It has it been rough for you? Have you have you actually had to um, deal with? you know, the fears of going on stage or it's just you can kind of ignore the audience and go start to play the piano. Yeah, I I, I um can always get in the zone pretty well with music. I used to get nervous. That was more when I was in college, but that was a rough experience for me in its own way. But nowadays, I'm always just very happy and grateful to share my music. And actually performing music has helped me with public speaking because I, I used to get like super nervous public speaking like in school. And I don't have to do that that often now, but I've that when I do have to do anything literally close to public speaking, I kind of just treat it like a performance and it makes it a lot easier for me. I think it's yeah. just a little simple okay. reframing. When, when, when you um, perform something, some sort of musical composition, whether it's your own or, or something that somebody else wrote, do you, are you still aware of the audience? Sometimes it depends on the context and, um, Generally speaking, I'll have some modicum of awareness that there is an audience, um, and sometimes I can actually see them, sometimes I cannot, but I'm more focused on, like, just embodying the song and getting into the moment, and because by doing that, I know they'll resonate with it more. And do you recall the first time that you performed for somebody or for an audience or whatever, where you realized, instead of being concerned about you know, how many notes you missed and, and whether or not you, you did a good job performing it, you were more concerned with how did you express it? Do you remember when that happened? Ooh, that's a great question. Not until uh, not until later in life, probably just maybe the last couple of years even. Really? Wow. Okay. In a way, it's hard to, yeah, I'd have to kind of backtrack and dig a little deeper there, but definitely I've gotten more concerned or had that more my focus the last few years. Because, I mean, now, I, I have not done a whole lot with keyboard. I used to play guitar in bands. So that was where I had most of my, my performance experience. And I, I, I would have trouble identifying where I made that shift. But what did happen, and I, this was very evident to me, is that when I made the shift, not only did I not care about making mistakes, I made a lot fewer of them. 
that yeah that resonates because definitely when you're not concerned about that then it's not as much of an issue yeah exactly right so uh, yeah that i think that's why i was asking you you know if you could remember when you made that shift because well it's important because because what that is that that's basically taking your next step in the confidence development game right Mm -hmm. like being like heather like being an entrepreneur right when you're an entrepreneur you get to the point where you're no longer concerned with just have I got the mechanics down, but now am I serving my customer base? Am I giving them what they're looking for? Am I getting enough purchases to tell me, yes, I'm on the right track? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Because really that's what drives the business ultimately. I mean, yes, you want to drive the business because you love what you're doing. You love the product. You love the fact that you guys are creating it rather than you know machining it uh, off of an assembly line. But ultimately it only works if you have customers willing to buy it. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and thank goodness that we have a product that they want to buy because without our customers there there is no business and and you know, I don't have a livelihood and I can't pay the rest of the family. So yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, we're we're in it to make money. We're just fortunate to make money doing something that's a great deal of fun to us. And and I, and I think um I think our customers really know we love what we do and I think they really know mm-hmm. how much we appreciate them. So I think that has I feel with a small business a lot of times you purchase from people you like when it comes mm. to small business and uh, people like us. So it's very. It's a very important point because what you're talking about is developing the customer relationship. You're talking about the importance of not just knowing who your customer is. Uh, and it looks like Heather's screen may be frozen. So she may be. Oh, you're back. Again. Oh, here you are. Okay. You're back. Sorry. I'm not sure what happened. Oh, I lost the internet, Starlink. <laughs> <laughs> so Starlink isn't a hundred percent. Well, yeah, right. that's better. <laughs> no, but what I was uh, saying while while the screens were frozen up there is that when we are in this this uh, entrepreneurial space, we're we're trying to well, let me say say differently from what I was going to before. We're trying to find what the customer wants. We're trying to serve that customer and we're trying to do it in a way that the customer responds to. Now you made the great point that it's customer centric, uh, business that is successful is one where the company knows the customer and the customer knows the company. And like you say, people buy from those they'd like. So they like the relationship. It's relationship building business. Oh, absolutely. Ultimately though, you're still trying to find that one product that becomes your first product that really succeeds. And, and I'm guessing that you went through a, f- through a few different kinds of products before you found the one that succeeded. Yeah, like, like how many did you have to go through before you found the one that really worked? Uh, I feel like we're still going through that. I mean, I know what <laughs> our, our favorites are, but uh, it's constantly changing. In fact, sometimes we have to go back and look at stuff that we used to create because at least in the outdoor industry, um, items will be hot. Like, we'll have a run of an item that'll go really well for two or three months and then it'll just die out. So mm. we're constant. So we're constantly trying to change it. And like we have seasons because we're wax canvas. Summer is not our season. We're, we're slowest then. So we, we get out and have adventures and test our gear. And after seven years, we finally figured out that in June, July, and August, we're not going to be busy. So we do other things. You know, we uh, try to put on classes, we have campouts, Um, we, f- we film a lot. So, um, it's just kind of learning how the flow is for the business and expecting it, anticipating the cars yeah. or products go. I mean, my husband just designed one in October and it's just taken off. And I didn't think it was going to be as big as hit as, <laughs> as he knew it was, but yeah. he knows the customers because he is our customer. He is our customer. So he knows what he likes. And, and, and so that works out really well having like a couple of different views on the company. Cause I'm, 
I'm on the other side of it. I'm doing what people like to see and I'm writing all this stuff and he's doing more of the research and what does the, um, what do, what do people want from us? What are products they're looking for? How, how can we create something new that hasn't been put on the market before? So we're very complementary in our skills towards each other. So that that's a lot of our success, I think. That's valuable, especially in a partnership. I mean, yeah. not just a marriage partnership, but also a business partnership with a married couple leading the way on that. I, yeah. I know that from my, my wife and I, because we run together her gardening business. It's the same kind of thing. She has all the horticultural and gardening experience. I have the business experience and the two just merge together really nicely. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. They flatter each other. So it works out really They do. Well. You know, that's a good yeah. word. Flatter. That's really what yeah. it is. Yeah. 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 They, and, and they complement each other. What, what exactly is wax canvas? I don't know. I, I mean, I understand the words, but I've never heard them together. What is that? So wax canvas is 100% cotton. That's the heavier cotton and it's the canvas. And then through a process, they get wax into the canvas. So it really is wax impregnated in your canvas. And it's the kind of product, um, they've been doing it since the late 1800s. And mm-hmm. we, we have, we happen to purchase from two companies here in the U.S. that have been making it a really long time. So it's a really great quality canvas. And um, it is, you can't really say waterproof. You have to say water resistant. The rain rolls right off of it. But the wax will eventually break down and you have to maintain your gear based on use. You have to keep re-waxing your canvas. But, I mean, we have pieces that are 100 years old because we collect vintage gear and we love wax canvas. So we know it has the staying power because it has had the staying power. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm gathering that wax canvas is, is in that sense, they're different from just plain canvas because of the wax that's applied to it and that oh, it, yeah. it, it enhances yeah. it. Probably makes it better water resistant. It, does it do anything else? I don't know. I think water resistance is pretty cool. I'm assuming it makes it sturdier since it's holding up, but 100% canvas is very sturdy in itself. It's a heavier weave, so you're already mm. getting a sturdy product. So the right. point of the wax canvas is to make it last longer by making stuff wipe off of it, wash off of it, and that kind of thing. Yeah. How, how does it do with heat? Because it's wax. Um, it doesn't melt off. It gets warm and very pliable. So like, oh, okay. even, like if you want to re-wax your canvas, it's the most fun when you sit around a fire. <laughs> because it kind of warms up the canvas and it warms up the wax and you can apply it. Um, we made a couple of waxed canvas anoraks and you would stand in front of the fire and it'd be really cold, but where the fire was in front, your ba- your jacket would get very warm, flexible. It doesn't come off on you though. I haven't had any problems with the, the wax transferring onto you, but yeah. But what kind of wax? Is it like candle wax? What is it? You know what? Um, I If I'd known you'd ask the question, I would have got the official speech from the website. <laughs> But it says non-hazardous biodegradable wax is all it says. Um, I know there is beeswax based in it, but I don't mm-hmm. know exactly what the components are. They don't share that with us on the website. Ah, oh, hidden secret ingredients. <laughs> I <get it>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Trade I get secrets. That. Trade secrets, I guess. Trade secrets. Yeah. yeah. yeah well, that, that's always a safe answer because that way nobody can ask anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's self-defense, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. Um, uh, so you, you made an interesting comment, though. You, you commented that you're still trying to find what that really great product is, the one that just really, really takes off. And yet you've had some that were successful. So I guess they're, well, that's true. There are going to be degrees of success. Yeah. So so what 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 has been the most successful so far, do you think? Oh, um, I think our foraging pouches, they're the biggest mm-hmm. thing because they're used by everyone because they're just pocket. And I think mm-hmm. everyone's always happy to have somewhere to put something. And then um, our ground cloth sell, we sell a great deal of ground cloth 
because everyone needs somewhere to put their gear down or to cover a bench or to, you know, throw on a log so their tush doesn't get wet. So the ground cloths yeah. have been very popular. So, yeah. I, I can imagine that part too, because when I was uh, growing up, we, we did some family camping up until I was in my early teens. And I, I mean, we, we didn't have wax canvas. We had just the regular canvas. And I, I can recall times where it was like, get that canvas off the ground. It's going to get soaking wet and won't be worth anything to anybody and all that kind of stuff. It'd been nice if it was actually water resistant. That would have been a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> I mean, I think it, it probably was treated with some chemicals. So I had some degree of water resistance, but still we, we were pretty conscientious about it. That and, uh, you wanted to make sure that even if, if you were in the tents and the tents got wet because it was raining, I mean, you took care of those tents because they were easy to rip, easy to get holes in them. There's all kinds of stuff. You had to be very conscientious just because they were wet. So yeah, yeah. It's so weird when you're in a tent and you touch it and it just the water comes pouring. Exactly. Through. Yeah. 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 I don't like that so much myself. It'll pretty much ruin the whole camping it. experience. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it will. You know, I always tell people who don't like people who are getting into camping, I always suggest that they, um, they have something warm to wear and they stay yes. dry. And they have food to eat because anytime somebody says they had a bad camping trip, it was because they were hungry, they were cold, or they were wet. So if you just start by fixing those first three things, your camping is going to be way more fun. In fact, if you have any kind of northern experience, it's not just wearing something warm. It's wearing lots of warm things in layers. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Right? Yeah. 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 Because, I mean, especially if you're camping. Now, I haven't gone camping in you know over 50 years, but um, if you're camping in any place where the temperatures get down at night, you're, you're talking about even on a, in a comfortable environment, you, maybe the temps are getting down into the 50s or the 40s, and, they're, and then during the day, you're climbing up into the 80s. You have to have clothing that covers the entire range. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You, know, you can't just have an overcoat. That's not going to do the job. Nope. <laughs> you got to be able it's to all about all the layers. Yeah. 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 Those layers make all the difference in the world. Yeah. But when you have it down, when you've got the whole thing figured out, then it's it's actually very enjoyable. You just used to taking off layers or putting on layers, depending on what you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah, which is good. I remember the time that uh um I, I don't know how much you, you you do in camping. It sounds like you do mostly like day trip kind of stuff. I camp. So, well we have gear, we camp. <laughs> okay, so you do some camping. All right. So well, um I know you're you're in a kind of rural area in the northwest, is that where you are? Yeah. And and so, therefore, you must have some experience dealing with wildlife. What, what wildlife story? Can you think of any really interesting or perhaps even scary wildlife stories? Because when you're in a tent, you're kind of vulnerable. <laughs> you are. I we haven't actually run into any wildlife um, camping, but we do ride dual sports, <clears throat> dual sport motorcycles. So um, we had gone off back roading on the dual sport motorcycle, and we ran out of gas. And uh, thankfully, we were at the top, so you run out of gas. What do you do? You coast down. Oh, my goodness. So there's two of us on the motorcycle. We're coasting down this logging road, and in front of us runs a bear. And I was just like, I thought we should stop. <laughs> And my husband was like, no, let's go see if we can see him again. And we just oh, kept geez. going. I was like, I don't want to see him again. <laughs> I was like, let's get as far away as possible. I don't think he heard us, you know, because normally when you're in the woods, um, we, I carry a whistle. We carry bear spray because um, we have mountain, we have mountain lions and we have uh, bears. We make a lot of noise. So they know we're coming. Sure. So you're not going to run into them. But um we were just cruising down the hill. We weren't making any noise. I think that's probably why we came across him. So, <laughs> but well, on, well, on our 
on our property, there are, the neighbors have said, there's bears in the yard. You know, we have to pull the animals in. We have to pull the kids in because we live next to a mountain. There are, there's wildlife and you have to be aware of it. So. And you're different, dealing with a different kind of bear. I mean, I'm on the East Coast. We deal with oh, the yeah. brown bears, so-called, yeah. although they're all black, but they're often called brown bears. Whereas you guys are dealing with the grizzlies. That's not a different kind of bear. Well, That's the not the same. Actually, yeah, no, the grizzlies are farther north. We don't have. The, oh, oh, you don't have the. Yeah, oh, you have the brown no. bear too. Yeah, yeah, thankfully. Okay, because yeah. the brown bear, that, that, they, I mean, yeah, they, they, they can get going pretty good, but they basically get going against each other. They don't really care about humans too much. Yeah, exactly. But you know, you have to be aware. You, you do. You do have to be aware. We, the town we live in, actually, we're in Connecticut. The town we live in has the highest uh, bear sighting population of any town in the state. So we see them all the time. Wow. And, yeah. Yeah, tremendous, tremendously large population. In fact, there was one time I was doing my show. There's a window in front of me that uh, looks out on, we, we live in an apartment complex and it looks out on the parking lot where there's a dumpster that we can all put our stuff in. And I looked out one day and there's this bear climbing into the dumpster while I'm doing podcasts. <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> somebody's come for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> they know where to find the food. <laughs> My wife was out there in a chair one time when, when a bear came by and did the same thing. And, and uh, she, he just walked right by her. He, had, he couldn't care less that she was there. He was only interested in the food. And he went and got his food, and then he got his snack afterwards, and he got his dessert, and he dragged that one off. I mean, it's just you – know, <laughs> they paid no attention. But we also have I, – I mentioned we have the gardening business, and we have a number of customers who also live in rural areas who have bear populations that come through. And there was one customer who told us about how – there was a mother with cubs who got confronted by a male bear, apparently not the father of the cubs. And it was like a terror to hear them because they were like, you know, yelling and screaming at each other. And they're, they're, the fight was brewing. And that mother was, you, you know, you know, as well as I do, you don't get anywhere near a mother with cubs. You just don't do that. But that bear apparent, the other bear apparently had not gotten the word. <laughs> so nobody, nobody had ever told him, you don't go after a mom with cubs. You just don't do that. Well, he found out that day. <laughs> God, she went, oh, mama bear. Good for her. Yeah, she did. So, but that's about the worst I've ever heard. I mean, most of the time that it's like, you know, the news story about the bear that went swimming in the swimming pool or yeah. you know, the bear that, that, that went into the back kitchen door because they smelled brownies cooking or something. I mean, <laughs> well, that might bring you in too, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, after a while, you just kind of get used to it. I remember when we first came here and we realized how many bears there were. It was like, oh, my goodness. But then after a while, I mean, you have enough bears walk in front of you. They're driving. I mean, I, I remember one time driving in the middle of the town, which is next door, that has a fairly substantial shopping drag, so to speak. And I'm driving down that and all of a sudden a bear walks out in the middle of it. Everybody comes to a stop. He ambles his way across the road. We kept going. <laughs> it, it was like it was no big deal. I was like, oh, well, you know, got held up by a bear today, you know. We're not that casual about bears here. Yeah. <laughs> Elk, yes, but bears, no. Now, we don't have mountain lions. We have bobcats. They're considerably smaller than a mountain lion, but uh, yeah, we don't have mountain yeah. lions. Yeah, yeah no, those, those are scary. Those are definitely scary. They uh, they like to feast on cats yes. here in our area. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yes. And, and our cats wouldn't like that because one of them is an outdoor cat. So that would not, that would be a, a very unhappy thing. We actually do have a bobcat that lives near us, but, um, our outdoor cat, he's, he's learned. He's wily. He knows when to be out and when not to be out. So, <laughs> smart cat. Yeah, he's a very smart cat. Yeah. Well, you got to be smart. Otherwise you're not going to survive. That's the way it works. Survival of the smartest. It's not the fittest. It's the smartest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Indeed. 
Oh, but wildlife is a challenge. But anyway, the reason I asked about the wildlife um, stories with, with camping and so forth is I remember we were in, where were we? I think we were in Colorado on one of those trips. Colorado, maybe maybe Yellowstone instead. I'm not sure exactly where we were, but we're somewhere in that range. And in the middle of the night, my sister hears something and she looks outside the tent window and there's a grizzly foraging through our campsite. (laughs) And so we're all really, really, really quiet. And we're looking like, Oh my God. (laughs) He just left us alone. He was interested only in the food. So that was a good thing. He didn't even get the food. That was the worst part from his perspective, but yeah, that was a little bit terrifying, but that's the worst experience I've ever had and nothing came out of it. And we were all okay. So that was the main thing. But I was wondering, yeah. I was wondering if you'd had anything that, that kind of nope. woke you up in the middle of the night. Not that I've noticed. I sleep with earplugs when I camp. <laughs> Hear no evil, see no evil. <laughs> uh, you know, there's a lot of things that go bump in the night. And really, if one's coming to get me, I can't do anything. So I might as well sleep well. So. There you go. Okay. That's not a bad philosophy, actually. Because <laughs> first of all, it means you're not going to attract anything that you don't really want because you don't know it's there. So yep, yeah, yep, exactly. Really safe. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's silly, but it works. It really does work for me. <laughs> I, I think it works great. I think it's a great idea. I love it. Yeah. So let's see. What else can we find out about uh, you and your company before we uh, part company for the day? So you've been doing it for seven years. <laughs> yes. And you got uh, a few product lines that have been doing fairly well. Where do you want to go with it? Maybe that's the next question, the final question, really. Where where do you where do you see this thing growing to? Um, I just see I just see it growing. As in, we sell more products. Um, eventually, I would like to offer more classes on our property. I would like to post more how to videos online to encourage people to get outdoors. Um, my husband and I hope to travel a great deal more to meet people in person at events because there's some great outdoor events that we can go to. Actually, we're just in one in Georgia, and that's the farthest we've traveled for the company, and that was ah. like great. That was a great deal of fun and an amazing weekend. So, um, yeah, so it's just really to expand our, our company line, but just to expand so that we're more of a lifestyle than just a product. So that's where we're, we're hoping to grow to. I'm glad you yeah. mentioned this because let's talk about the courses for a bit. You have various kinds of things that you teach. Talk about what you teach. Um, I just really want to teach women the absolute basics of camping. That's where um, my strong point is, is I um, have learned to share skills where people don't feel intimidated. And a lot of women said they want to go camping, but they always feel a lot of pressure asking how to start a fire in front of a group or in front of their significant others. So I think that's really going to be my focus point is to teach women the very basic skills, what kind of uh, sleeping bag to get, how to start a fire, how to put up a tent in like a safe, non-judgmental environment. I mean, I could teach men too, but mostly it's women who have reached out and said, could you show me how to do that, Heather? And I was like, gosh, I, I could because I love it and I have equipment. Well, we got a little bit of a connection problem going on there, but I'm sure that'll iron itself out in a moment. <laughs> so we kind of missed the last bit of that part. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I said I'm so much fun. <laughs> well, that's what it is. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> That's cool. Though. Uh, well, I mean, I, I think it's pretty cool. You're teaching women how to actually light a fire. I mean, we, we did it the easy way. We, we had a Coleman stove. So we said to heck with that. <laughs> we just don't light the sucker up. <laughs> there are, there are so many resources to light a fire that you could just pick up at the grocery store. But if you don't know they're there, right? I mean, really simple, simple things that people mm-hmm. just don't want to look silly asking, but I'm happy to share the knowledge. Mm-hmm. So I hope to expand on that. <laughs> Yeah. And how nice to know you don't have to use flint to do it. I mean, matches I could, work great. but you don't. <laughs> but you don't, right. Like, why would you do that if you don't have to? It's just so much simpler. Light the match, you're done. Get the lighter up, whatever. Because you know? <laughs> I, I really do believe, uh, now, again, I haven't camped in years, but from the time that I was doing it, I really believed, and I think this was our family philosophy. Yeah, we're camping, but let's make it as nice as we can make it. Let's make it as easy. I mean, this is not about, about struggles. It's not like we're struggling to survive in the wilderness. We're, we're just going to the next, you know, campsite over. So it's not turned into a big deal. Let's just, <laughs> let's just have fun. Let's you just make it a fun activity. And I think with everyone, there's a different skill level where I actually enjoy trying to go and start my fire with a ferrocium rod and a striker and no matches and no fuel. I like, okay. I like the challenge of learning those skills, mm-hmm. but there are other trips where I'll be out with ladies and I'm just going to, throw in the fire starter log and light it up with my lighter. You know what I mean? Like, I think that both, both ends of the extreme are welcome and you don't have to pick one or the other. Just yeah, whatever you want to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What fits you? What's important yeah. to you? What, 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 what matches your priorities? Yeah. What mood you're in? <laughs> yeah. I mean, for us, it was really about the reason we camped is so we could see the country. That's yeah. how I got to see most of the United States. Yeah. And you know, one, one trip. One, one trip from, from the East Coast out to California, another one out to Colorado. And, oh. and I mean, th- and when was one of those trips went through the Northern route out and the Southern route back. So, I mean, we saw like a large chunk of the country just by doing those two trips. And I bet the conversations were great. And, and people are so much fun around a campfire, especially when you could take away electronics. Like if you don't oh, have yeah. good reception and people can't be on their telephones these days, the conversations are amazing. I love it. Well, that, at that point in time, it wasn't hard because there weren't any electronics yeah, to take away. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you, it's like, oh, it's not yeah. a whole lot different from being home. It's just that I'm outdoors. So. <laughs> yeah, today it would be a little bit different. Because just a little. <laughs> kind of shifts it a little bit. But this has been cool. This has been really good. Um, tell us a little bit more about how to find your your business, your website. How do we people yeah, reach out? Yeah. Where do they find your products, um, all that stuff? Find the courses? So um, our website is pnwbushcraft.com and that is where we have all of our products and we also have all of, I have a blog on there. Um, I'm very active on Instagram. I love to post reels and stories and, and fun things that we're up to as a family and that's PNW Bushcraft Shop. And you can also find us on YouTube. We actually have a few series called PNW Bushcraft Adventures and we have some episodes on there and it's under PNW Bushcraft Shop. That's very cool. Actually, when you said something there, it made me think, oh, you, you're somebody I can kind of pick your brain for a moment. So I don't want to do that right now. What is it you okay. love about the Instagram reels? I've never gotten involved with, with reels, but what do you like about those? Um, because they're short. Well, I like them to be funny, but they're short and informative and you really get like a 10 second glimpse into somebody's personality. That's why I think, I think they're fun. Okay. Cool. All right. Hey, you know, there's, it's, it's different strokes for different folks. Everybody has the thing that they like. And yeah. I, for me, I, I've always been technically oriented. So I like to know what everybody else is doing. Doesn't mean I want to do it myself necessarily, <laughs> but, but it's part of how I learn. It's how part yeah. like it, it, it's like earlier I was trying to put together, I thought I'd put together having street, Zoom connect to StreamYard. You're not supposed to be able to do that. 
<laughs> they found you. <laughs> they caught up with me. Oh my God. I'm take, being taken away in handcuffs. But you know, I, I just, I like playing with stuff like that for other people. It's terror. You know, Oh my God, I could break something. You know, that's, that's the way most people look at, at technology. It's not the way I look at it, but that's the whole point though. We all, like you were saying, we all have different perspectives on how do we want the experience to go. And I love yeah. the way you were describing that, you know, where camping is concerned, you can do it whatever way you want to. Yeah. Yeah. That's really as long as you're having a good time. Yeah. That's really the bottom line, isn't it? Whether you're having yeah. a good time. <laughs> right? Yeah. And and I get the feeling that there's not really an issue in your family having a good time. No, right? it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have a good time a lot of the time. Yeah. When it's yeah. that time, we're having a good time. You ever notice that when something goes really wrong, you always remember the experience, right? So when something goes Remembering this experience. So, you know, you that's what it. happens. Yeah. That's yeah. what happens. So this has been good, really good. And, uh, I, Samuel, I, I'm really glad we finally got you involved in the conversation. We, we had all kinds of, this has yeah. been like te- technology hell for the last few weeks here. Cause the first week he couldn't connect at all. And the second week he didn't have a microphone that worked properly. And then last week we were able to connect them, but it was a kind of intermittent. This week you actually got to participate, Sam. I mean, this is like really, this is a breakthrough, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> The only thing that was missing, we didn't have you uh, do a piano performance for us. So I guess we'll have to wait till next time and have you play something for us. You're going to prepare something, like maybe prepare a piece, a special piece for us, or is it all going to be improv? I would say 99.3% of the time I play piano anymore is improvised, but I could prepare something. Yeah, put something together for us. You know, come up with something special for us. You can even pre-record it that way, you know, so you can get it, you know, get a perfect. Oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah, sounds good to me. Oh, All right. I know what I do. He's already got it figured out. Now, how about that? Now, there's a trooper right there. He's, uh, I, I just threw the gauntlet down. He picked it up and ran with it. Like, bam. Okay, we're done. Here we go. I love it. All right. Well, anyway, Heather Salisbury, thank you so much for joining us on the program. This has been an absolute pleasure. I love getting to know you and I love getting to know, you know, your company, what your husband and you have built together. Thank you for what you guys do because I know there's a, a loyal following that are just appreciative of, ever, of everything that you're doing. And I want to, on their behalf, thank you. Well, thank you. I really, I really enjoyed being on. It was a wonderful conversation. Very glad to have you. Thank you very much to all of our, uh, sorry to the live stream listeners. I hope to get this thing fixed so that everybody will be able to be on the live stream again because we actually did work at some point, but I don't know. Still some things to work out. We'll, we'll get that fixed for next time. But thank you to all of our podcast listeners everywhere. Hey, without you guys, we wouldn't have a podcast. We'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody.